All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We'll try to see, well, we'll definitely get chapter 1 done, but I don't know how far if we'll get into chapter 2. We will see. The Wilsons had their baby, um, Katie Wilson. I don't have stats on the baby at all, but I do have a sign-up sheet for meals. If you're interested in taking them a meal, I'll put that out there for you. Now, they live in Mound City. So it'll be a drive to drop off, but maybe they'll do a pickup here. If you work something out, their phone number's on there and everything. But uh, I'm sure they'd appreciate some, some meals as they recover from that, uh, that blessing. That's a blessing. All right, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart for the Thessalonians. and um, He has compassion on them. They're going through a terrible time, um, and, but it's not as terrible as it's going to be, which is what he's going to share with them. And so, God, I pray, as as Aaron already prayed, that we'd have ears to hear what you have for us tonight. Um, The difficulties and trials that we go through. And um, we just pray that you'd minister to our hearts. That's what we need. We need a touch from our Father to bring us peace and comfort. And we know that comes from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking about how to start this tonight. It's a different book, a second letter. Paul Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians was more about the rapture, just trying to get them caught up on some, not caught up, that's the wrong word, trying to get them to understand a little bit better what he left them with as far as how things go down in the last days. And so he left them with that. Now, he's heard since then from other people, we believe missionaries passed through there and got word to Paul, that uh, the Thessalonians were going through a very terrible time uh, as far as persecution goes. And we'll talk a little bit about the meaning of persecution, tribulation, patience, and so on. But so much so that they thought they were in the Great Tribulation. So they've got their things out of order. Um, the, the format, or that the format, the, uh, the order of events is, is not uh, lined up correctly in their, in their eschatology and the understanding of how things go down. So he wants to write this second letter to them to, to encourage them. Um, so I was thinking about how to start this. I had a moment, I'm not going to give you the specifics of it, but um, Bo was concerned about something at our house and he gets he, he dwells on those kind of things. Hold on, I gotta shut off my notifications here. Or it's gonna go off all night long. Been busy. <laughs> all right. There we go. Bo is having, when he gets in his head, he he just goes wild. He starts thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. And of course, I love to help. That's what I do. I'm a helper. So I tell him how everything's going to be okay. And that usually takes care of it, right? No. (laughs) But I tell him why I think it's going to be okay. I give him the facts. I give him the details. I give him the the reasons why. And and how maybe it's not rational to think the way you're thinking. And then I just go through the whole thing. And he, and he dutifully nods and says, you know, okay. Now Jenny will come in, and she'll say the dumbest thing to him. I don't know. I can't give you an example of it. And I'll look, I see that's the dumbest advice I've ever heard. You know? And all of a sudden, he just is light as a feather. The burden is lifted off of his shoulders. I'm like, now how in the world did you do that? That doesn't even make sense. That would make me feel any better. So I halfway want to go in and say, now, Bo, you really do have something to worry about here because what she said doesn't make any sense at all. I'm kidding. 
Paul's solution for the Thessalonians going through their tribulation time, the persecution that they're going through, is to tell them how bad it's going to get. You know? And it's like, how is that going to bring them comfort? To tell them, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know? Now, the comforting part of that, obviously, I'm, I'm kidding, is that we haven't missed the rapture. We haven't missed salvation. We haven't missed our home in heaven. We haven't done something wrong, you know, because from Paul's teaching, they understood that we're supposed to be praying to be counted worthy of not going through these things. And so if you feel like you're going through these things, then maybe I'm worthy of going through these things, you know, and not the other way around. And so to hear this from Paul is the right answer. It is the comfort they need. It may not be the thing that we would say to somebody, you know, but it's exactly what they needed to hear because Paul is led by the Spirit. My wife is led by the Spirit. I'm led by facts, you know. That doesn't make sense. Get over it, you know, deal with it. And she's like, no, this. And I look at him and I watch his eyes just light up and he goes to sleep like a little angel, you know. It's like, oh. So that's why we're together. <laughs> to save my kids from me and my advice. I was thinking about my coaching techniques too. When it comes to baseball, all I have to say is keep your eye on the ball, watch the ball, look at the ball, keep your eye on the ball. That's all I say the whole time. And when it comes to swimming, it's kick. You got to kick, kick, be sure and kick, kick. You know, I need to get beyond these things and maybe grow a little bit in my advice giving column. The Thessalonians need to hear from Paul, and Paul knows they need to hear from him. The poor people, you know, the poor people. Can you imagine feeling that? Uh, all the, all the, the lostness that goes along with that. Their hearts are uh, feeling distant and uh, bewildered, you know. And Paul, being a spiritual father of this church, doesn't want them to feel that way at all and wants to help them. But he's, he's over here, you know, unable to do and be what he wants to be for them. So he writes in this letter, and I think that's important to go through all that so we understand the context here. So as we go through this, we know where Paul is headed with this and what his heart is for these people. He wants to bring them comfort and peace, but he can't take away the struggles that they're going through. All they can do is give them comfort and peace in those struggles that they're going through. Verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is often confused as a place or a location or a building, and hopefully we're old enough in the Lord now to know that no, the church is the people. So you can't say the church does that or the church does this. The church is a living organism, growing, expanding, and changing, and all sorts of different body parts associated with it. And to say the church, if you're not, if you're a believer, well, that's you. You know, so you point the finger at yourself. You can't, you can't separate yourself from the church if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If the church has a problem or the church should be doing more of this, guess who that rests upon? It rests upon you. And so when he writes this to the church of the Thessalonians, this is a group of people. It doesn't matter whether they're meeting in a, in a building or in a field or by a river or whatever. It's, it's the body of believers that he's 
talking to. It's the body of believers that he's trying to minister to. He tells them, and this is the first thing he wants to share, and often shares this in most of his letters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I circled the word from when I was studying, because I think that's very important for us. The grace and the peace, the idea of it, comes from God. I hear people debate it all the time, grace and peace and mercy and what it means and this and that and who gets this and that's easy grace or that's sloppy agape or whatever it is that we come up with. I think it's important to understand that the idea of God giving us unmerited favor was his idea, not ours. It's not something we hope for, talk him into, or try to negotiate a better deal with God. It's his idea to give us grace and peace. It's his heart to give us grace and peace. I have no business even trying to argue the point. It's his. It's his idea. It's God's idea. God's idea for you and for me is to save us. He didn't have to send his son, Jesus. He chose to send his son, Jesus. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He chose it. And although despising the shame for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. There were, it was their idea. And I'm, I'm not going to apologize for it anymore. I wish it hadn't happened. I'm, I'm so glad it did. I'm so glad these are the, these are, this is the God we serve. You know, what a blessing to know that. It covers it and takes over so many of my worries and my thoughts and my uh, the, the mind games you play with yourself as a believer who wants to do better, who wants to be a better person, a better Christian, and finds himself failing over and over again. To know this first, that God's idea and heart for us is to give us grace, mercy, and peace, it takes a lot of pressure off. It just does. It doesn't mean that we don't try, and it doesn't mean that we don't want to be counted worthy to escape these things. I do. One of the scriptures that came to mind while I was studying, and I didn't even look it up because it was such a fleeting thought, but was, having done all to stand. And I don't even know where that is. Some of you could probably look that up for me or something. But having done all to stand. You don't say that to somebody that's standing. Have you done all to stand? You know, I did everything I could to stand. Well, Christ is the one that stands for us. He stands and intercedes for us. He's the one that, that does everything for us. He, he bridges the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. He does that all. But then there is that part, though, where he says, having done all to stand. I have done all I can to stand. So there's a, a participation that we want to, to be in with this salvation, but it doesn't rely on us, thank goodness. Because whatever... However far I fall short of that standing makes no difference. Jesus Christ fills that in. I'm his son. I love him. I want to represent him properly. I want to live my life for him. I never want to sit back and coast in my walk with Jesus. But God's idea for me and his heart for me is to give me unmerited favor, to give me mercy, which is not receiving what I do deserve. And to give me peace in my heart, he wants me to have that. He wants you to have that too. And so Paul tells this Thessalonian church, I know you're going through it. He's going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to know this first, grace and peace from God. The world doesn't want to give that to you, but God wants to give that to you. And Jesus made a very strong point about that, didn't he? Peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but my peace I give to you. It's a whole different deal. whole different deal. It's beautiful. I'm so thankful for him. 
Verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of, of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. And that's probably why they're growing. It's because of the patience they need to have and because of the tribulations they're having to endure. And they grow in love for one another. Some of the strongest points in church history are when we're being persecuted the most or when we were persecuted the most. And I mean that living organism of the body of believers throughout the world. Some of the tightest, closest moments we've ever had with God and with each other are when persecution hits. It's when we're bound together. And so Paul is slowly leading them into the, I'm amazed and I boast and I tell everybody I can tell. Whenever I come in or back to another church or whatever, I talk about how much love you guys have for each other. It's amazing how you are growing in that. Leaps and bounds towards each other. It's amazing. I love it and I boast about it. In the midst of your patience of faith and your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Patience. I'm very patient when it comes to a Walmart line. You know, that is not what he's talking about, though. I'm very patient when um, maybe one of my kids' stories is they need to take a breath, you know, because it's anybody else's kids tell you their dreams that go on for 25 minutes and none of it makes sense, but you listen there and you're, yeah. And then what'd the alligator do? You know, I mean, what? I count that as such patience on my part. I'm such a good dad. You know, it's not what he's talking about. Patience is steadfast endurance. No matter what comes against this group of people, the world coming against them, they are patient. They are steadfast and immovable in their walk. You know, I'm so patient, you know, (laughs) I don't know rarely experience a moment where I have to be that patient, that kind of patient. In the midst of persecutions and tribulations, he puts an S on the end of that tribulation so they know it's not the tribulation. These are just, and not just, but that's, it's hard not to put that word in there. These are just the little tribulations that come into the life of people. But the tribulations they're going through, please understand the word there in the Greek is breathtaking. It's a breathtaking moment. We think about the crucifixion on Easter and how Jesus was whipped with a scourge. And we all understand how that would take your breath away. The the sting, the pain, the ripping, the tearing of the flesh, right? The same word is used when they wanted to extract information from somebody when they would, back in the day, they had some very creative torture methods. Put a board on someone's chest and place rocks on it and tell you every time you breathe, you lose and you, you cannot bring your chest back to fill it up with air. So your capacity is just getting smaller and smaller. You know, you, you try, try to take that. That's the tribulation he's talking about. That's the patience they're talking about. That kind of persecution. I got a bad email the other day. It's not what he's talking about. Somebody looked at me funny. Somebody said something about me behind my back. That's not the breathlessness he's talking about. 
And I'm not trying to minimize it. That's just what we have to deal with, maybe. But it's nothing compared to what this church is going through in Thessalonians. The Thessalonians are going through. The tribulations are going through the difficulties. is severe, severe persecution. Now, that is happening all over the world right now. You know? That is happening in Africa. That is happening in Russia. That is happening in the Ukraine. That is happening in North Korea, China. Severe persecution. Breathless persecution is happening. And so we want to pray for those folks. Someday it may come here. Probably will. Hopefully God eases us into it so that we're not absolutely stunned by it. But make no mistake, if, if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us. We have not yet resisted to bloodshed. Not even close. So Paul says, I see your love for you guys growing for one another in the midst of steadfast endurance and the crushing, breathtaking tribulations that you're going through. That helps, doesn't it? I see that. He's building them up. I can't take it away. I can't make it easier. But I can tell you what I see happening in you. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, as someone who's come to know the Lord, who has been set free from the bonds of, bonds of sin you know, in their lives, that's very encouraging. It, you can't produce love on your own. You can't produce God's kind of love on our own. We can produce different kinds of love. We call it love. I love steak. I love my wife. I love a dog. You know, that I can produce. Agape love, that unconditional love that God has, and through by His Spirit can do that through us. That comes from the Lord. And so when someone recognizes that in you and says something about that to you, I don't care what you're going through with your patience and tribulation, that, that builds you up. You know? We need to do that. He says that I can see these things happening, verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer, since it is a, a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. So here he makes his segue. I understand the tribulations you're going through. Please understand it's for the Lord. The Lord sees it. And you're honoring God by doing that and living that way. And make no mistake about it. He will take vengeance for you by giving them the tribulation for troubling you. That's to encourage them. It doesn't go unnoticed. In the book of Revelation, we have this moment where there's a bunch of saints underneath the throne that are asking God, how much longer until your wrath is poured out on those who troubled us. That's a paraphrase. You can read it and look it up. It'll be good for you. How much longer? That's these guys. These are the folks getting killed for that. It's also those that die in the great tribulation. They're also those under the, it's a bunch of people. And he says, just a little bit longer, give them their robes. Give them that robe of righteousness. That was meant to encourage them. And Paul says, God sees that. It doesn't go unnoticed, the suffering that you're going through. You're not forgotten. You're not lost. You're not, you're not abandoned in it, you know. What a sweet person to take the time to write a letter like that to them. And to give you, who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to rest with us. 
the idea behind that is if you think, you know, if you missed it, we missed it. It's all he's saying. Watch us, you know. Now, once Paul goes on to be with the Lord later on in his life or whoever, you don't have him to watch anymore. But the idea was, you're going to find rest with us. If we haven't gone and we didn't miss it, neither did you, you know, neither did you. And so that should have brought some comfort. And, and once you realize, oh, these are just the, the tribulations that Jesus spoke of that are supposed to go through, that we all go through, and we're not to be uh, uh, shocked by these fiery trials that come upon us, well, it does help. Because all that matters to these people is that they're with God. That's the most important thing to them. That's what troubles them. It isn't necessarily the pain and the suffering. Oh, God, make this pain and suffering go away. Make my life easier. Make it, make it smoother. I don't want to. No, I just want to make sure I didn't miss being with God forever in heaven. That's what concerns me. And Paul says, oh, no, no, no. These tribulations are just the, the stuff we're all going to go through. You haven't missed it. You haven't missed it. These shall be punished, these people that are persecuting them those that do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was uh, believed. Everlasting destruction. There's interesting debates that go through the church and How can hell be everlasting? It is a little, well, not a little. It's horrible to think about. You know, I mean, if you really sat down and thought about it, never, ever, ever ends. When he describes this place, when he describes hell, when he describes this everlasting punishment, the description he gives, besides the flames of fire, which I think are the least of their concerns, is their absent from the presence of the Lord and they're absent from the glory of his power. It's not there. It's a place he's created and made where he isn't. I don't know how that works. I was reading about poor New York and how their, uh, their air quality is just unbelievable because of the Canadian fires right now and all, and which is another topic altogether, how they all started at the same time. I have no idea, but they did. And there they are reaping the benefits of this, you know, a city that's really going to cut down on their car emissions. <laughs> Here comes 20,000 years worth of pollution their way, you know. And I don't, I'm not laughing. It's a horrible experience for them. They actually have air quality. Please stay inside. You're in the red. It's just absolutely dangerous and, and terrible and, and all. Um... um can't escape that. You can't, I mean, you can't leave the city. Most people just have to deal with it. They just have to be there. You know, there's a place, there, there are places in, in, uh, in, we think this is crazy probably, but we think a lot of things in the coast are crazy and I understand why, but um, they have oxygen bars, you know, you can go in and you can put on a mask and sit there and, and just choose your oxygen. And sometimes they're scented and have little mild things like this. And here's your cucumber oxygen. Here's, I mean, you go into it like a coffee bar, but it's an oxygen bar. And you sit there and you just have this moment of breathing. And I was so blessed. I, I know it's hot and humid. 
But we live in an oxygen bar out here in the Midwest. I mean, you just walk anywhere you want, and that smell you smell is a dream come true for most people, whether you're in L.A. or you're in New York. We live in it, you know. That's just a tiny, tiny taste of what it's like to be, and a comparison maybe, maybe not a great one, but this is the one I've got for tonight, what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord because everything that functions in creation is by his hand and because he's present. If he evacuates this place and leaves this creation, which he will do, we know that, and this is what's left, is nothing works right. There is no photosynthesis. There is no anything happening like it's no hydraulic cycle. Nothing functions because the one who makes it all function is gone. All you have left is the absolute evil, unbridled evil. That's all you have left. Uncontrolled, unrestrained wickedness. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. I've come to a place, I don't know how bold I will be. (laughs) It's easy to say, let's put it that way now. But if God was to say, you know what, you're going to hell, I can fully understand now why I'm going. If I didn't believe in Jesus, if there was no salvation, if there was no Savior, and there was no bridge, and he says, you deserve hell, I would absolutely agree with him. Considering the holiness that I've seen so far, which is nothing compared to what we're going to see when we see him face to face. I know that. But what I've seen of his holiness so far in his word and in his presence in my life and in the presence of, as we see him in creation, I can see why, because I know who I am. I mean, I don't know if I'd say a word. Absolutely. Absolutely right. You're a just judge. You're a just judge, you know. So I don't have a problem with everlasting. I understand it. In a sense, I don't understand the experience. I can't imagine time like that. I don't get it. There's a lot of things like that I don't understand. But I understand why to be absent from his presence and to be absent from his glory and his power, that's what it would be like. So the debate is everlasting. Oh, it can't be everlasting. There must be like annihilation. Uh, There's some theories that go out there to make us feel better. But we've talked about this before. When you begin to change the vocabulary, when you begin to change the definition of these words, you're changing them every place else in Scripture too. And one of them is everlasting life. It's the same word. In John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the same word as everlasting hell. So you can't change this definition without changing that definition. Later on in John 3.36, he says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. And it kind of ties the two together. It's everlasting. Both are. My salvation is everlasting, and hell is everlasting. The condition of my soul after my death is everlasting in either place. You can't change one without changing the other. If it makes you feel better that there's an annihilation, then that means your everlasting life may have a, a point of termination. It may end. And that you have to live eternity never knowing if you're ever going to be saved forever, whether it's just a, a matter of time before you blow it up there too, like the angels did, and then you get cast out. You have no assurance of an everlasting life then. 
These words matter. The definitions matter. Always have. Verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ um, may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a, a um, his, his, if, if you didn't read any further, he's given them enough to understand we haven't gone through the great tribulation. Our hope is still in heaven. The tribulation that we're experiencing is bad, but expected. The people that are doing it to us are going to get far worse and it's everlasting. We go into the presence and the glory of God. They're absent from the presence and glory of God. Our testimony is helping others, encouraging others in the faith. And God is going to complete this work that he's begun in us. You see, it's a wonderful little chapter, you know. Paul is away with words. I wish I could be that concise sometimes. Chapter 2, the apostasy. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So I don't care who told you or what you've read, it didn't come from us. The day of Christ hasn't come. The day of vengeance, the day of wrath has not started yet. We have a group just right down the street here that thinks we're in the great tribulation period right now, or the millennial reign of Christ, actually. They think the great tribulation is over and that we're in the thousand-year reign of Christ right now. Jesus is in a secret room in Brooklyn, of all places, only the elders can see him, and they hear from God, and then they spread it on down the line through their magazines that they leave at the laundromat kind of thing. I remember when we first came to town, I'd go to the laundromat, and I'd take all their magazines. I'd just take them. Nobody's reading this garbage, and I'd leave our own. <laughs> Little tracks. You're okay. Come to Jesus. Don't read that garbage. Paul says, nah. No, first of all, if you see the coming of the day, something's wrong. Because you're not supposed to be here when that happens. But I don't want you to be worried about that. That doesn't come from us. Our gathering together to him is the rapture. That happens prior. That happens before. That day of Christ happens, or you know, the day of the Lord, the day of vengeance comes after that. Don't listen to that. Don't be troubled by that. So someone's come along and shared that with them. And it's troubled them. I am to be looking, and this, this helps us understand, I am to be looking, you are to be looking for the Messiah, for Jesus to come back and take us home. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're not looking for wrath. We're not looking for the second coming of Christ. We're looking for the rapture to take place. That's why we're not discouraged by the things that we see. We see them as labor pains happening. We talked about that last week. We see things getting worse and worse and things happening in, uh, you know, more frequently. And that just causes us to look up, as he told us in First Thessalonians, to look up for your redemption draws near. But he is trying to bring them peace. No, 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 the things you're going through, that's not it. Sometimes I read these people that say, oh, there it is. See all the, the, the seas turning to blood. And they just start picking random thoughts between Revelation 6 and 19 and say, see, it's happening. It's happening. Say, 
No, we're not in 6 and 19. We can't, the church isn't in the Great Tribulation period. We're not in that thing. There are things that will look like that when you th- see these things begin to happen, a, a third of the earth burning. Well, you know, Canada is kind of on fire, but not a third of it. A third of the earth? You'll know when a third of the earth is up in smoke. I mean, we get excited when there's a, a fish kill, you know. 10,000 fish came up on the shore. Mm, kind of happens about every other year. Okay. Got to be careful about that stuff. Not to buy into that stuff. Not to be so shaken or troubled in our mind, like, this is it. We need to hunker down and, and burrow into the ground kind of thing. Paul's trying to stop that spiraling thought process. Worry, anxiety, fear, which has nothing to do with the Lord. Nothing to do with him. Satan is a liar. He is the author of lies. Satan's a deceiver. That's what he does. Paul says, I don't care who came to you, what you read, you're not to be troubled in your mind or your spirit by word or letter. Nothing. So the day of Christ has come. Let no one deceive you by any means, and we can let ourselves be deceived. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. The Antichrist. The day of vengeance, the day of wrath of of Christ is at the end. That's in Revelation 19. It's at the end of the great tribulation period. Now falling away. This is interesting. No, let me, let me make a controversy here. Let's talk about the apostasy. People walking away from the faith, leaving the Lord, walking away from Christianity. Maybe. The word falling away just means rapid departure. Could it mean something else? Could it mean the rapture? Could it mean that day is not going to come unless the rapid departure comes first, then the man of sin is revealed? It's possible. Not everybody agrees or thinks that way, but it is possible. Either way, Paul says, it isn't now. This isn't the time. And you're not to be soon shaken or disturbed. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's in the middle of the great tribulation period, three and a half years into the seven year period. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 talks about it. Matthew 24, 15, those are all scriptures you can read to recover, you know, to to research that. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Paul, you were there for three weeks. I mean, no offense, but (laughs) that's a lot to remember. We just figured out that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and now you're trying, don't you remember I told you about the son of perdition and the time frames and all these things, the great chamber, the little thing? No, we don't remember. You know, I'm not making fun of him. Paul's a brilliant guy, and brilliant people have a hard time with dumb people. They just do, and I understand that. Like, I, I get that. When people are talking to me that are super smart, and they're looking at me like I'm talking to a chimp, you know, I get it. I know. It ta- Say that again. Now, what was your name again? Say your, now, you can say your name to me when I first meet you, and I will say it back to you like I'm supposed to, and shake your hand and say it repeatedly, and I will walk away and say, now, who was that? That's just, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. So Paul's saying, now, I told you all this, 
He said a lot of stuff when he was with them. So another way to look at this, so also, not to make fun of Paul too much, because I'll meet him one day. <laughs> Might be awkward at the pearly gates. <laughs> JD, can I talk to you? I was there. I heard you talking about me. Sorry, Paul. Another way to look at it is look at the depth of teaching that he gave these folks in three weeks. That's amazing. I just appreciate people that are so brilliant, but can articulate it in such a way that I can understand it, or at least I have a chance to understand it. You know what I mean? That's just a gift. Paul was gifted in that area. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. He is capitalized. This Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, who is now restraining, remember, that's what he's called us to do. The Holy Spirit is in our hearts. He's in each believer. And that's what we do is we are like salt and light in this world. We're a restraining force as far as evil penetrating every corner. Well, then there's some pushback from the Holy Spirit in us. We're the good. We're the salt. We're the light that pushes back against the dark and the bacteria and the, and the decay, Right? I know it sometimes it feels like it's a losing battle, but it, at least imagine when that is taken away, when the Holy Spirit is taken away, which means that's us. Otherwise, none of us have the Holy Spirit. You see what I mean? See how these things tie together? If the rapture doesn't happen before that man of sin is revealed, then we're, the Holy Spirit's taken from us, you know, and now we don't have the Spirit anymore, even though he's our seal. When that which restrains, when, when, when everything, you, know, you don't think you're doing any good where you are, you don't think anybody's hearing you or listening to you, all the words you share, all the, all the prayers that you put, everything that you do, I just don't know. You won't believe it when we get taken away what this place is going to, absolute chaos. You have no idea how much you're restraining. And I'm not, I know we don't want to take credit. It's the Holy Spirit in us. But when I open my mouth in obedience to the Lord and I begin to share and preach and push back, you know, there's an effect. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. You'll see that in... Revelation 19 and 20. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. The Antichrist is not wearing a red suit with pointy little ears and a funny little tail. He's going to have skinny jeans on. He's going to be cool, shades. He's going to be attractive, He's going to have smooth words. He's going to be desirable. He will look like Christ. He will be a savior in a sense to this world. They will see him as someone who can solve the problems, someone they can back and stand behind. You know, that's what he's going to look like. And he's going to prove himself with all power, signs, and lying wonders. I'm, I'm all for signs and wonders. I'm all for miracles. I believe every gift of the Holy Spirit is for today. No doubt about it. 
But I don't rest my faith upon seeing that, experiencing that, or whatever, because I know that that can be copied. I know it can be imitated. I know it can be done by false. I mean, that was, that's the most bizarre thing for me when I watch, you know, God says, okay, now take your stick, Moses, cast it down, and then pick it up. It's going to be a snake, and then a stick, and then a snake, and then a stick, and leprosy, and no leprosy, and leprosy, you know. Cool, you know, and I know he did that all the way to Egypt. I would have, you know. Just making sure it works when the time's right, you know. Oh, I dropped my stick. <laughs> Does snake stick, snake stick. I would have done that too. But when he gets there to do his big trick, boom. And then the two other guys are able to do the same thing. How did that work? What was that? I mean, you know, was it a magician's trick where they were like stuck in a tube and they kind of went like this and the snake came out and it was squiggled or something? Maybe. Or maybe they had that ability. Maybe they had dark arts. I don't know. It tells me, though, later on that obviously Moses' snake ate their snakes. Fine. But we can see how easily things can be copied and how easily people could be deceived. And Remember how, here come the frogs. The frogs throughout all Egypt. And what did the other guys do? Look, I made more frogs. <laughs> Pharaoh was like, can you make them go away? You know? <laughs> No, but we can double them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Now, as funny as that is, and as strange as those stories are, we get some really good insight, though, into the fact that it can be duplicated. And I don't rest my faith upon things like that. I rest my faith upon God's Word. I trust His Word. I trust what He says, what He's written down. He doesn't go beyond what's written. He tells us that. He's magnified His Word above His name. I'm not saying I don't like those things. I'm just saying I don't rest my faith upon those things. I rest my faith upon his word. I'd like to see all those other things too. That's wonderful. Like signs and wonders follow the teaching of the word of God as the exclamation point of the truth. I understand that. But I also know that it could be faked. So if I hear somebody saying something that's contrary to God's word and they do some trick, I don't care what they say. It's contrary to God's word. That's why knowing the word is far more important than being able to do gifts and miracles and signs and wonders, which are beautiful if they're from God, but they're horrible if they're from Satan. And the Antichrist is going to be able to do those things. We learn so much from God's word. And he's teaching the Thessalonians so much here. He's going to come and he's going to deceive. He's going to trick because they didn't receive the love of the truth. Oh, we're in those days, aren't we? Truth just doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. Biology doesn't matter. None of these things matter. In fact, it's just there's just nothing but venom when you try to bring that up, when you talk about those things. Because they have rejected truth for what they want to do. They accept their sin. They want their sin. They want to be freed up. And he gave them over to a debased mind. He says in Romans 1, he gave them over to those lusts. He gave them over to those things. He just, if that's what you want, we're in an incredible time right now. And it's just going to get worse. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to break everybody down. It's, it's not going to get better. We will push back. We will be salt and light. We will restrain as much as we can restrain. We will do all of those things. Absolutely. We will not be silent. We will worship our God, you know. 
but the the speed at which things are coming over i mean it's, it's just so strange what's happening it's surreal and it's surreal because it's supernatural because it's demonic and for this reason god will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I think that's a good place to stop tonight. Strong delusion. Last time we saw that or really can focus on that, I think is when Pharaoh hardened his heart over and over and over again. And finally God says that I will harden your heart. I'm not going to make your decision firm is what I'm going to do. You've said no, you've said no, you've said no. I'm going to let it be no. And he made his decision firm. He hardened his heart. We can see that. You want that? You want that? I don't want you to do that. You've heard the truth. It's no, it's no accident that they use the rainbow that God used as a promise for the wrath. <laughs> it's no accident. I mean, it's right in our face. We don't care. I dare you to flood us again. I dare you. You know, I'm not going to flood you again. I already promised that. That's what the rainbow's for. Didn't talk about fire, though. The earth is going to burn with a fervent heat. That's the second wave. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. As difficult as these topics can be in the sense that it's, well, it's just not our ordinary everyday thoughts. These are eternal things that we're talking about here and thinking about here and meditating on. And it does, it is sobering. But I do want to be sober. I want to have my eyes wide open to what's going on. Sure, I appreciate the beauty of my life and the, and the wonderful blessings that you've given to me and my family and this fellowship and your word and our relationship with you and your worship. I love all of that. I'm also very aware of the world and what they're bent on and what they won't stop at. And Lord, I pray that I'm a good soldier for you, that I wouldn't be so wrapped up and concerned with my own uh, moments of being uncomfortable to not understand what I'm here for, to be light and salt, to push back, to be strong, to be patient in the sense that I'm immovable, enduring, that regardless of the tribulation that may coming our way, even if it's breathlessness and takes our breath away, Lord, that we will stand with you, for you, and against evil, Lord. Strengthen us tonight, God, I pray. Strengthen us in our spirit. And help us to stand firm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, I'll see you Sunday.